0: Now, <clears throat> all right, first off, a couple of things. One is, how do you attack reoccurring symptoms such as headaches that come and go? All right, good question. <clears throat> whenever you are ministering to people, over a period of time, there are some things you will just pick up. It's just by experience, okay? What I'm trying to do is give you the benefit of some experiences so you can kind of get a jump start. So whenever someone is telling me certain things, I'm listening for what I would consider keywords, the keywords are going to help me to know what I'm fighting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> for instance, if somebody says, "Well, you know, I, I don't know what it is, and, and doctors can't diagnose it or haven't diagnosed it." Okay. Whenever I hear doctors can't diagnose, automatically, I go after a spirit of infirmity, because usually a spirit of infirmity. Well, for instance, <clears throat> there are some cases of whiplash, like in a car accident that you can actually see the damage done to the vertebrae. But many cases of whiplash, there is actually no physical damage done that you can see. And yet whiplash starts coming and recurring more and more as the time passes from the accident. And people say, well, it happened then, but over a period of time it gets worse and worse. Now, technically, especially if there is no physical evidence, yet there is pain Especially if I hear things like, it comes and goes. Because if it is physical damage, then the pain or the symptoms should be constant. Okay? If it's physical damage. Now, if it comes and goes, generally, it is spiritual in origin. Meaning, it is an attack of the enemy somehow. Okay? Now, if it is uh, many times... Any time it comes and goes, anytime it can't be diagnosed, automatically, I go after a spirit of infirmity. Because a spirit of infirmity is technically a spirit of weakness. Now, here's one thing you need to know about demons. Here's the way they work. A demon of fear is not a big, scary demon that scares you. Okay? A demon of fear is a scared demon. You understand? It is scared. It is skittish. That's why somebody says, well, they have a spirit of fear. And you walk up and you go, excuse me. And, okay? It doesn't mean necessarily, that doesn't mean that they have a spirit of fear, but there are people that have a spirit of fear that would definitely react that way. You do anything, they just, you know. Now, I'm not talking about people that have a reason to be jumpy. All right? You know, if you have warrants out for your arrest, okay, you may have a reason to be kind of paranoid. All right? That's not a demon. All right? That's you need to repent. Okay? So what I'm trying to get across is that demons are not trying necessarily to bring something on you. They're not they don't stand over here and go, yeah, fix that or you know, do something with that. They try to express themselves through you. See, it's the same thing the Holy Spirit wants, right? He wants to express himself through you. So a person has a spirit of fear, that demon is fearful and you are expressing its fear. Emotions or its uh, characteristics. Uh, Spirit of anger. And now understand, when I mention these things, I I would much rather show you like a spectrum, you know, a graph almost. Because some of these things are natural human tendencies that are to be controlled and brought under control. But on that spectrum, once you get beyond a certain degree, it's no longer human. It can become demonically inspired. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? So that there's a certain amount of, if someone jumps out and scares you, that you may be kind of, oh, okay, you know, you you jump. But then there's people that you say anything to them that they don't see you coming and they jump. So there's a difference there. All right? Well, that's just because their constitution is, you know, timid or something like that. Okay. Now, a Christian's constitution should not be timid. All right? The Bible talks about timidity. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says God has not given us a spirit of fear or in the Greek, a spirit of timidity, but of power, love and a sound mind. Right. So we shouldn't be jumpy. Devils should be jumpy around us. Right. They should look at you like you would look at a child holding a loaded gun. Right. They never know exactly when you're going to go off. Right. And they hope it's not directed toward them. Okay? That's kind of the way they should feel about you. Now. Whenever you are experiencing these things, and, and you have you see these people that's on this spectrum, you can there are certain amounts of your natural human character that you should control and bring under the dominion of the spirit of God. At the same time, these demonic spirits want manifestation, and so they try to express themselves through you, right? So you have to learn not to be timid. Matter of fact, it even says in the book of Revelation that the fearful and the unbelieving. Right? or right there with the whoremongers and all these other people. Right? So, you having a spirit of fear, what you call being quiet or introverted, it's not of God. Right? Now, I'm not telling you to be loud and obnoxious either. But I'm saying, see, boldness, all boldness means, see, I have people all the time always ask me, would you pray that I would get boldness? No. Right? I don't pray for boldness. Now, you want to know how to get bold? It's real simple. Get convinced of what you know. When you get convinced of what you know and what you believe, you will be bold. If I was asking any person to point to you and say, what is your name? You would say, bam, you would give me your name, right? You wouldn't hesitate. You would just say it. This is my name. And if I said, no, 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 I want your real name. You'd go, what what are you talking about? That is my real name. No, come on, that's not your real name. Give me your real name. Now, if I did that long enough, you're going to get mad. Because you're going to go, look, okay, it was cute at the beginning, but now I'm getting mad this is my real name. You're going to start getting frustrated with me. Right? Why? Because you know your real name. And you're real quick to spout it out. Well, when you get that quick about the Word of God, that's boldness. That's all it is. Boldness is freedom to speak. Speak. To speak. I told you I could do this easier in tongues. It's the freedom to speak freely. Right? The ability to speak freely. That's all boldness is. Yeah? Okay, God, give me boldness. What you're saying is you can't do anything without the boldness, and God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He doesn't have to give you anything for you to do anything for Him. He's given you that already. It, is, it was imparted into you at your new birth. Right? And then, of course, the baptism of the Spirit brings the power to back up the things that you say and the things that you do with the power of God to effect change. So, you know, just nobody's asked me to pray for boldness while I've been here, so please don't. Right? Just get convinced that what you what you believe is true, and the best way to do that is begin to do it. You know, and there are things. See, if you ask somebody, things amaze me how the how blatant the devil is a lot of times. Because if you ask people, the number one thing, the number one fear among all people, no matter where you go, it is what. Did everybody know what it is? Public speaking. Now, don't you find it strange that the number one fear just happens to be the opposite of the number one job God gave you, which is to preach the gospel to every creature? Do you think there's any correlation there? Maybe He doesn't want us speaking out freely. You understand what I'm saying? So, the idea is that you find out what you see. We were talking about this at lunch. You know, you can go out. People say, "Well, I, you know, I laid hands on the sick, nothing happened." Okay. Uh, What are you doing now? Well, I quit laying hands on the sick. Well, are you seeing any more healings now? (laughs) Well, no, of course not. Okay? So, now the Bible tells you to do it. Right? And you did it. Right? Without results. Right. So, you were obedient without results. Yeah? Okay, now you're disobedient without results. Which is better? Isn't it better to be obedient without results and disobedient without results? Okay, but the third option is even better: obedient with results. Right? And when you get the trash out of the way, you would get to be obedient with results. That's much better. Right? But even if you didn't see re- see if I didn't. If every person I laid hands on dropped dead instantly, I would. I would have to still keep praying for the sick because the Bible commands me to. My healing lines would be a lot shorter. Okay, you know, right? You start to lay hands, you know, who's next? Not me, you know. Don't touch me, right? But come on, I mean, we, it says to do it. You know, the funny thing is, all I'm here doing is telling you what the Bible's already told you to do. Amen. right? Amen. I've not brought out any secret book. I've not brought out any secret scriptures. It's all right there. there. Isn't right? I'm not, I'm not teaching out of first opinions here. Right? We're, we're telling the truth of what the Word of God says, and I can point you to scriptures in your Bible. So, it's not a matter of what we wanted. See, our problem is we want, to, we want the results that God has promised, but we, we want to be able to do it the way we want to. We want to set up our own rules, our own guidelines, rather than just do what He said to do. You didn't make this, you didn't invent it. You've got to get in line you know, with, with the person who invented this thing. It's like you, you, know, you may not like paying $3 a gallon for gas, but try putting water in your gas tank. It's going to cost you a lot more. Isn't that right? It's better to get in line with how the, the Maker made it. This is how the Maker made it to be. You lay hands on a sick. And like I said before, even if He didn't ever tell you a word, never said anything else, He's already told you enough. See, most Christians are waiting for a phone call from God when He's already sent them a letter. And you keep waiting for this other phone call to verify the letter He sent you. you know? and now think about this. Whenever, when you were a kid, when your parents told you to do something, The first time they told you, they said, do this, right? And when they had to tell you the second and the third and the fourth time, did you notice any difference in their tone? (laughs) Then why are you trying to get a second and third and fourth time from God? Maybe you won't like his tone, right? You said, well, God's not going to talk to me that way. Really? If Jesus is the example we have of God, he can get pretty testy with people. Isn't that right? I mean, he looked at his own disciples and said, you faithless bunch, how long do I have to put up with you? Well, that's not real nice and sweet, is it? Now, come on. They were just with him nine months before he sent them out. How long have you been with him? You think he's going to be nice and sweet? Come on. Come on. Please go heal the sick. Come on. You think that's what he's going to do? I guarantee you, he is used to saying, angels, do it. Bam, it's done. Isn't that right? He's used to people obeying. And yet we think, "Eh." See, you know, the scripture is a. If you get back to the original languages, it knocks out all of these questionings. Because when we get back to the original Greek, a lot of our questions come up out of the out of the English in different translations. For instance, it says that remember when Jesus at one time it says he's looking out the multitude, and then he turns and he prays and says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Remember it says that the harvest is great and yet the laborers are few? And he says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest? And you look at that word send. Now, if you've done any study on maybe the Greek language or anything like that, you would think that the word he would use there for send would be apostello. You know, to, to apostle, to, to a, a commission and send out. That's not what he, the word he used. The word he used was the Greek word ekbalo. Ek meaning out, and balo meaning to throw. So literally, when he said, send forth laborers into the harvest... He was saying, throw them out, cast them out. Actually, it's the same word used when he said, believers will cast out devils. The exact same word. Now, think about this. We are supposed to be sending out, casting out laborers with the same force that we cast out devils. I always tell everybody, it's much easier to cast out a devil than it is a Christian. It is. You know why? Devils know they have to listen. Christians think they can pick and choose. Hey, I didn't like that word. I'm not going to obey it. I, I didn't hear God give me a confirmation. I'm, I'm waiting for God to quicken it to me. Have you ever, Think about that. He's already said it. Now he's got to quicken it? I mean, what are you saying? God, you said this, yeah? Did you mean it? Uh, no, I didn't mean it. Forget that part. <laughs> what do you think he's going to say? Of course I meant it. I said it. Isn't that right? He didn't mince words. He didn't throw words around. Matter of fact, I mean, think about it. Think of all that God put inside the covers of the Bible. It covers every aspect of human of humanity, isn't it right? He put all that in one book, so He knows. In the old days, they would call Him a wordsmith. You know what that means? It means He knows how to use words to their greatest effectiveness. Jesus was a man of few words, right? He didn't say a whole. I mean. He taught and all that kind of stuff, but he was very concise, very to the point. And honestly, most of the time, you can tell spiritual people because unless they are directly dealing with the Word of God and, and teaching or sharing or fellowshipping in that area of, of around the Word, usually they're extremely quiet. You know, one of the first ways to find out where people are spiritually is just listen. You know, and and if if they're always talking about all kinds of stuff, even sometimes about the Word, but all kinds of stuff, then generally they're usually at a, at a very immature level. The more mature, you know, the quieter they get, except when they're talking about the Bible. And then, then you'll see them light up. You know, it just comes alive. And and so, there, there's a an aspect here that I'm what I'm trying to get across is this point that you really, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but you really don't have much of a choice. You know, it's not like I'm coming here reading the scripture that says, and if you want to, you can heal the sick. And if you decide to, you can cast out devils. And, 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 and sometimes, when you feel like it, you know, you can speak in other tongues. And I, The Bible doesn't say that. It says, this is the marks of a believer. This is what believers do. Right? I mean, how many of you, if I went to your work and said, hey, you know so-and-so? Yeah. Do you know if they speak in tongues? How many of them would say, yeah, yeah, I know they do. Think about it. How many of them would say, do you know if they ever pray for the sick? How many of them would really know that you do that? You see? That's the marks of a believer. Right. right? Now, you could go to them and say, are, are, are they joyful? Are they you know, long-suffering? You go through all the fruit of the Spirit, and they might go, well, yeah, I guess so. But you can also see a lot of those marks in people that are not even saved. Right. Isn't that right? I mean, you can, I mean the, the enemy can, can duplicate a lot of that kind of stuff. But there has to come a point where we say, you know what, we take the whole thing and live all of it. You know, Christians are afraid of the word works. Because they think when you start talking about works, all of a sudden they think you're talking about salvation by works. I'm not talking, I'm not saying you get saved by works. I'm just saying if you're saved, you're going to work. You see the difference? The works don't get you saved. I wouldn't even say necessarily they keep you saved in that sense. But come on, if you're saved, you're going to work. Why? Because your heart's going to go out to God to say, What can I do for you? Look what all you've done for me. What can I do for you? Right. Right. You know, and, and that's what tells me a lot of people, you mean I have to heal the sick to be saved? You know, actually, what they, a lot of what I've heard before, what you mean to tell me I have to heal the sick to stay saved? And well, I said, No, first got to get saved. Because your attitude is, You ain't saved to begin with. All right? Well, how can you say that? Because your attitude. How many of you would like to have a spouse? That when you come home, not male or female, either way, and, and, you know, in today's world, men can stay home and women work, and come, I know, because there's different situations, and I'm not addressing that. But let's just pretend for a minute, just male or female, spouse, you're working, and your spouse is at home. Do you want to come home, and you open that door, and you smell something, and you go, whoa, septic tank backed up? What is that? <clears throat> and you walk in, and you think, oh man, it's supper time. What, where, where's the food? And the person comes in and they throw some plate down. There you go. And you look at it. Good Lord, what is that? That's what you're going to eat. I don't think so. That's what I made. That's what you're going to eat. If you don't eat, you're going to you're, you're going to go hungry. That's it. And you look at it and think, now I'm going to go out to eat. Now, do you want that kind of spouse? Or do you want the kind of spouse that whenever you show up and you open the front door, mm, pecan pie, I can smell it from here i like, glory to God. And you start to walk in there, and you sit down, and there's this, and the person comes to you and says, I made you this just because I knew you'd like it, I want to surprise you. Now, which spouse do you want? is right? You want the one that, that you know, I was thinking today, just something to do just to surprise you, and just show you how much I love you. And so I made the pecan pie, I made your favorite food, I made is Isn't that what you want? Isn't that the kind of spouse you want? Now, you may be saying, I don't want to be that kind of spouse, to have to do all that, okay. We'll address that later, okay? <laughs> so, but that's the spouse you want. Have you ever thought of just trying to surprise God? You know, God, man, you've done so good for me. You've done so much for me. I'm, I'm just going to go do something. I'm going to go find somebody to heal just to show you I love you. I'm going to go find somebody to, to, minister to just to show you how much I love you. You know, think about that. God would probably fall off the throne. You know, just from the surprise. You know, because I mean, God knows that happens so seldom, you know. But we're always trying, well, when he tells me to do it, I'll do it. And bless God, I ain't doing nothing unless he tells me to do it. I want that confirmation, because I won't do anything wrong, because, you know, if I do something wrong, he's going to smite me with one of them heavy smites you always read about. <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to be smited, you know. And so, but do you realize the difference how we treat him? You want the, the type of spouse that, you, and you want to be that kind of spouse. I mean, because God has thought about you. He thought about you so much that he got there ahead of you, provided everything for you, and even the, even the one that he had to leave necessary, he leaves it all for you there to pick up when you get there. And then all he asks you to do is turn around and treat other people nice. And yet what do we do? We, act God, we treat God like he's some mean being up there. You know? We still have this Greek mythology type mindset. You know, that God is like Thor up there throwing lightning bolts down on people. Rather than realizing that he loves us, he loved us before we loved him. He did all this ahead of time. You know, he put all this stuff together. Sent his son. While you were cursing God, living a life of sin, Jesus had already been sent and died and bore all your sins and bore all your your diseases and all this stuff. And you know, the whole time, here you are an enemy of God, and God is saying, I have faith in him. He'll come in. See, God doesn't treat you the way you deserve. He treats you the way he wants you to be. And people say, well, no, but now God does this and God does that. Under the Old Covenant, God had to treat man a certain way. He had to treat them according to their fallen nature, to the fact that they were fallen man. But under the New Covenant, God gets to treat man the way He wants to. That's the difference. See, under the Old Covenant, there were just a few people that walked with Him that He actually could live through. And he helped as many people as he could, but there was antagonism when there was a certain law in place that he could not do certain things without violating his own holiness and goodness. But even in the New Testament, Jesus said, Man, don't you know that God makes the, the rain to, the, and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust? God doesn't just bring good things to, to good people and bad things to bad people. The Bible says that the goodness of God draws men to repentance. Isn't that right? See, he can't tell you to, you know, when it talks about, <clears throat> when we talk about having an enemy, and it says, you know, speak well and be kind, and when you do it, it's like pouring, you know, hot coals on their head when you treat them good, when they're treating you bad, right? Now, we want to treat people, you know, we want to return evil for evil. And God said, don't do that. Now, the reason he said it, he said, listen, when they treat you bad, bless them. When they speak bad of you, speak well of them is that right? Treat them good. Why does He tell you that? Because that's the way He is. That, that, he wants you to be like Him. That's what He does. People curse Him. Guess what? He still blesses them. Why? Because He's trying to draw them in. Now, you can get so far off into things that you're not necessarily beyond help, but come on, most of that stuff is just sowing and reaping and stuff that you bring on yourself. You know, He put these laws into motion, and so therefore He takes responsibility for them, but come on, the laws of sowing and reaping You know, we always, how come is it we always talk about sowing and reaping in two ways? One is negative. We always talk about, well, I guess I'm just reaping what I sowed. Why is it always negative? Why don't you say, bless God, I'm reaping what I sowed? And it'd be good things. Or, if you turn on Christian television, it's always, sowing and reaping is always related to money. Isn't that right? If you go back to the very laws that they're preaching about. And the very beginning, when it says sowing and reaping, it says every seed reproduces after its own kind. Isn't that right? So that means you can't sow money and reap healing. Because the seed you sow is going to reap back what, it, what the same type of seed. So if you sow money, you're going to get money. And here's the other question. If that's true, if the people that are preaching that so strong about money really believe it, how come I never get a dollar from them in the mail? How come they never sow to me? How come, the, how come it's always, you know, so... Hank Williams had a song out years back. It said, everybody tells me to give to God, but they always give me their address. That's in a song. The world is smarter than the church in some ways. Because we're always we're always hearing begging for stuff and yet the Bible says I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. Of course, nowadays we'd have to update and say unless you turn on Christian television. Because then you see them begging for bread. You see them begging for everything. And I'm telling you, God's people don't have to beg. You live in the blessings of God. They will overtake you. You, know, you don't have to chase them. They overtake you. You should be so busy trying to bless people that they have to overtake you. You see, you standing still, they don't generally overtake you. Right? You've got to be moving to be overtaken. Right? If you're running from me and I overtake you, it means I caught up to you and tackled you. Right? That's what overtaking means. And that's what His blessings are. Your blessings, you're not blessed by standing I, I was in um Let's see how religious you are. We were in Charlotte, North Carolina. <clears throat> and I was there. And that's a, that tends to be a pretty religious town anyway. And so we were there and I was preaching. And I told people, look, you've got to be... God expects you to be a river. He expects you to, to pour into you and you pour out. And I said, you know, anything that's dammed up on one end is a, it, it, it gets stagnant. And everything in there dies. Because it keeps pouring in, but yet nothing's going out. Right? And I said, you know, our problem is... We're supposed, well, we're supposed to be rivers, and our problem is we're dammed up on one end. Our problem is we don't have enough river Christians. We've got too many damned Christians. And then I realized what I said, and it got real quiet. Okay? And I'm like, you know what I mean. To flow, let it flow. But it's amazing because that's what we do. We expect God to bless us, and then we, but yet we want to put a cap on it. You know, bless so it'll pile up rather than bless so it'll spread out. But the more you give out, the more God does give in. You want more power? Use what you got. Well, I don't have enough. How do you know? You had not used what you got yet. You know, sowing and reaping. Give out power, more power comes back, right? Not the same amount that you give out, more gets back. That's the whole law of sowing and reaping. You get more than you gave. So if you want more power, give more out. Give, start with what you got. That's why he told you about the faith of a grain of mustard seed. See, it's amazing. i got people all over. How, how do I get great faith? How, I want more faith. I want great faith. You don't need great faith. Now, if you have it wonderful, but you don't need it, faith's the size of a grain of mustard seed to get the job done. Isn't that right? right? He never told you you had to have a certain amount of faith. Right. He just recognized it when he saw it. And the funny thing is, the only two people... Now, think about this. It is too late for you to have great faith. It's too late. So don't even try. Why? Because... The only two people Jesus ever told that had great faith. The only two people he ever said, you have great faith. One was a Roman centurion and one was a Syrophoenician woman. Right? Neither one of them were Jewish. Neither one of them had a covenant with God, which is why they had great faith. Had they had a covenant with God, it wouldn't have been great faith. You understand? Because they had a covenant with God. It's not great faith when you have a covenant with God. He says, listen, you give me all of you, I'll I'll give you all of me. So it's not great faith when you believe him for that. That's not faith. Not, not even great faith. Why did they, why did the Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman have great faith? Because they had no right to ask. You've got a right to ask. You, so it's not a matter of great faith. That's why I told you, all through, from, from Acts on, especially in Romans on, there's nothing about you having faith. It's accepted. You believe God. You know God. You believe God. It's not about, well, do I have enough faith? I mean, you're acting like the, the, the old covenant. Even some of the unsaved people that don't even know God. And you're always worried about, do I have enough faith for this? Do I have enough faith? It's not about faith. Faith works by love. If you're going to be concerned about anything, you've got to be concerned, do I have enough love? But yet the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So you know you got enough of that too. Because if you don't, it's his fault because he didn't shed enough abroad in you. You you see all the things, I can go at this a thousand ways. Believe me, I've tried to tear it apart. I've tried to come up with reasons why I don't have to preach this. It's not always easy coming into a place and preaching a a message of absolute victory. Because usually when I come in, somebody just died, or something just happened, you just had a defeat, and here I come along and rub salt in the wound by saying, you didn't have to suffer that defeat. And people get mad at me over it. You know, I've had people come to me and grab me and look at me and say, you know, like Well, like, actually like they did David Hogan too one time. Took him out in the backyard. Showed him the cemetery. And said, you know, this is a great message. What about these people? And David could just look at him and say, I'm sorry I didn't get here sooner. Because if I had him there wouldn't be graves. See, that's what I when, I, when my daughter died, that was one of the vows I made to God. I made it so that I would always be accessible. Because I didn't want somebody else to ever come get me by the hand and take me to a cemetery and say, I couldn't reach you. And because I couldn't reach you, I got a, I got a grave marker here. I got a grave here in the cemetery where I, when I would be holding my child. Because see, this Christians look at this. We don't even half the time we talk about the spiritual realm, and yet we live like it doesn't exist. When we ought to be living in it, Amen. right? And living in it doesn't mean walking around, you know, your heads in the cloud. Living in the spiritual realm, the spirit, everything around. See, the spirit realm is not. A dividing thing, okay? Flesh, spirit. It's one long spectrum. And the further you get over from the flesh, the further you get into the spirit, even though you're still here. Matter of fact, people say, well, you know, I, I just want to be in the spirit. The Bible says if the spirit of Christ is in you, you're in the spirit. That's what the Bible says. And that's not what church generally says, because we think it has to come upon us. But I'm telling you, He has come upon us. Now, can we have new, fresh fillings? Sure. Why? Because, like, what was it, Spurgeon, I think, one time said, they said, how come you're always talking about new feelings? I thought, you know, we were baptized in the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, we've got it. How can we talk about new feelings? He says, because I leak. Well, we tend to leak sometimes. And so we have to stir ourselves back up, get filled back up. Well, how do I get filled back up? Easily. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And the, the, the Greek tense there is be being filled. In other words, it should be a constant thing. It should be a constant thing in your life of being filled. Amen. And then whatever you give out, it comes out. And we had a question here that said, Peter's shadow. Yeah. Peter's shadow healed. Did he just believe it? Or how did it happen? Alright. What the scripture actually says is that miracles happen to the point where when Peter walked by, people brought their sick loved ones out to lay in the road so that even his shadow might come upon them giving the impression there that they were healed when the shadow touched them. Now, it wasn't the shadow... This is my understanding of this. Alright? It wasn't the shadow necessarily that healed. But if I was to stand... You can probably see some of my shadow up here. And if you see light when it... You know, if it's directly overhead, then you don't have much of a shadow. But the more angled it is, the longer the shadow. Right? Now... I believe what this is saying, based on experiences I've had in the mechanics of the Spirit of God, is that everybody knows you have a space, right? Everybody knows you're kind of your comfort zone. Somebody steps into your comfort zone, you automatically kind of step away to keep that barrier, to keep that little buffer zone there, right? Now, you are a spirit clothed with flesh. The flesh doesn't really encapsulate the spirit. Spirit, your spirit emanates through the flesh, through the clothes, right? Someone, you can be standing somewhere, or let's say you you go into a dark room, and you don't know, but if you walk in there, and you stop, many times you can feel somebody else is in there. Isn't that right? Or have you ever experienced, you're standing there, and all of a sudden you look around, and somebody's looking at you. Right? You, You experience, there's a connection made. Now, that is spirit, okay? Because your spirit is not bound your spirit emanates. Now, there's nothing to say that your spirit doesn't continually emanate. But the further out it gets, the weaker it gets. Almost like radar. Okay? That's how many times in the Old Testament people were seers and they could see distances and things like that. It was by the Spirit of God, but it was through the... See, we, we think if we say Spirit of God, there's nothing, there's no mechanical or functioning of it. It just happens. The Spirit of God set into motion the laws of gravity and the laws of, uh, of... well, all the laws and all the natural laws, right? These laws God set up. So even though they're natural laws, God put them into place so that they are spiritual natural laws. That make sense to you? Natural laws put into place by spirit. Now, whenever you... the more filled you get with the spirit, the more he emanates from you. And the stronger you get spiritually the further that emanation can be felt and sensed. Okay? Give you examples. Wigglesworth. Walked down the, the train and people inside the doors fallen falling out. Right? How did that happen? Why do, people, why do people fall out when certain people walk past them? Emanation of the Spirit. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit went over and knocked that person over. They felt the emanation of the Spirit of God within that person. Charles Finney. Now, here's the thing. Whatever you give yourself to, Whatever area of Bible that you study and you give yourself into, that is what will be demonstrated. Okay? Wigglesworth gave himself to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God emanated primarily in areas of healing and evangelism. Charles Finney gave himself to evangelism and revival. He walks into a, a factory and a quiet falls over everybody there. We're talking about several hundred people. How? Why? The Spirit of God emanating from him. Now what image? It, it says everybody got real quiet and pretty soon one girl made a kind of a joke to kind of lighten the atmosphere and all of a sudden started crying. And pretty soon the whole factory was repenting and crying. Why? Because why, why weren't they healed? Because he hadn't given himself to healing. He had given himself to evangelism. So what did he, what he... That's what he sowed. What did he reap? Evangelism. You see? It's almost... I wish sometimes that... The Spirit of God, if you ever noticed in water, you can take water and you put food coloring in it and the whole glass becomes colored. I wish sometimes that the Spirit of God, say for healing, had one color. And for evangelism had another color. And deliverance had another color. And that way, whenever a person studied that and became filled with the Spirit of God in those areas, you could see it in that color. You know, now I know that may sound crazy, but I'm just trying to give you a visual of what I'm talking about the Spirit of God manifests Himself according to what you give yourself to. Why? Because you create an ease for Him to flow in that area. That's why what you study you'll become and who you're around. i I'll prove it. Saul, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, the the prophet uh, Samuel told Saul, when you go up, you're going to come across these people and you're going to come up to the hill of God which is Bethel and you're going to go you're, there's going to be a company of prophets coming down, and when they come down, they're going to begin to prophesy. And whenever they, now, when they got around him, it says, and then you're going to begin to prophesy with them. Why did it wait until he got around them? Because you, what you get around, you'll become. It's amazing. When I started getting around some of the uh, CI people, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about or not, but some of the CI people are very prophetic. And whenever I get around them and minister around them, I get more words of knowledge. Why? Because I'm around them. And so it it functions, the the Spirit of God functions through me more in that area because I'm around people. You know, your term would be there's an atmosphere for it. Okay? And so whatever you get around. That's why I tell people, I would love to teach you this, but then I'd love to take you on the road with me for two weeks. Because then you would become it. See, that's why I said before, I'm not, I don't teach healing anymore. I am healing. Healing pours out of me. Right? I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to direct it. Healing is life. And so it just emanates. Now, Peter, as he walked, his, what he's trying to say is that sh- his shadow fell so far. That's how far the Spirit of God emanated from him, was out to the end of his shadow. Now, I understand that's, that's more a theory and an understanding of how it works, but I know it to be true. I can give you two other examples. One was in um, Dr. Lake, back when he was in South Africa. There was, they went to get rest, and they couldn't find any rest because they went to this village, and they looked, they could get rest there, and they go inside there. And the people found out who they were, and they all started coming in. And finally, Lake and his preaching partner, they said, "You know, we're not going to get any rest here either. We got to pray for too many people." So they went out in the middle, and in the uh, South African villages, they called them kraals. Whenever they were out there, there was a post that they would tie the horse to. And so they went out to the middle and said, "Okay, we're going to have to go because we physically, we just cannot pray for." I think they had uh, seventy-two or seventy-three thousand people come in to be prayed for, and they said, "We can't. We're here. We need rest. The revival is too strong. We need rest." they put their hand on a pole and they said in the name of Jesus and they, they released the anointing of God into that pole. Now that may sound crazy, but there are things called prayer clause. Same thing. Okay? When they said, then they said, now when we leave, if everybody will line up and walk by this pole, everybody that touches this pole will be healed. And that's what they did. And they left and the people got healed. Over 70,000 people got healed in a week. Alright? Just by that. Now, how do I know it to be true? I got... I'll give you one more example. There's several I could give you, but there's one more. I was down at uh, at Rhema. Y'all know where Rhema is? Tulsa, right? Bible school, the prayer and healing school. There was a guy down there named Jim Hockaday who was head of the prayer and healing school. And Jim Hockaday, he's an awesome guy. He's, huh? Oh, was he? Okay, well then, yeah. then you'll probably heard this story. Because we we go in, this is back whenever Kenneth Hagin was alive. And so we go in there and I'm sitting over at the offices and we're talking and fellowship and it's good, Right? And I'm sharing these things and, and some of these things that hadn't been brought out like this before. And, man, we're just going back and forth. Yeah, and that would mean this. And, yeah, this is good. And, oh, we're pumped up. And he goes, Oh, man, i got to go to the prayer and healing school. we got to go over there. He goes, come and go with me. Okay. So, while we're walking out, we pray for this girl who was deaf in both ears. Didn't see anything happen. We walked across the street. By the time she got over there, she was perfectly well. She took that long to get there. And uh, Jim was like, yeah, this is, this is good. So, we get over there. He starts preaching. <coughs> he gets all... Uh, he's, he begins to minister. Everybody there is ministering. At one point he says, alright, now, if you want me to minister for you, to you directly, then come on up here on the platform. And this one lady came up and now he was—he'd already broke a sweat. He was, I mean, we had been working, right? Believe it or not, it's work. It isn't all fun and games and, you know, all that it's work. And it will take a lot out of you physically if you don't switch over into the Spirit like I talked about yesterday. Well, he, is, he walks over against the wall behind him and he's leaning up against that wall. And he's just leaning up against it Kind of taking a breath there. And as the girl comes up and says, would you pray for me? He goes, yeah, okay. So he moves his hand. He goes, here. Puts it up against that wall. Starts to pray. She leans up where his hand was. When her head touches where his hand was, she slides down the wall gets appealed. He never touched her. But where his hand had been. What did he leave? An imprint. Right? We, know, we see it now on all the TV shows, right? CSI stuff where you leave fingerprints and DNA and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you, your DNA is spiritual. Right? Your DNA, you leave DNA, fingerprints, but you also leave. The Bible even says it. It says that we are a sweet-smelling savor everywhere we go. Isn't that right? We are to leave. Now, have you ever been in a place, let's say you go into a department store, a place where, how can I say this uh, nicely, um, people wear, a place where people with money go and people are fairly well and wear a lot of perfume. Okay? and you walk into the building and you, you're kind of walking everything's normal and all of a sudden you're like you smell perfume and you take a couple more steps and you don't smell it and you step back and you smell it again it's like right there you know what I mean? you can walk into it you can walk out of it right? they just walk this way you walk through it that's what goes on in the spirit everywhere you go you can't see it but when you go it's like a meteor going through the, through the atmosphere. It leaves a trail that sometimes you can't see after so long, but there's still particles. And if you go through it, you can become radioactive. You can have those particles on you. Why? Because you went through it. Right? Radiation. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. Right? And if they get a, a sensitive enough machine, a Geiger counter, right, they can pick it up. That's, that's the same way it works in the spirit. You walk through a place, you should leave a trail of spirit life. Someone ought to walk past you, you know, through your vapor trail there, right? You know, you, you walk through. Somebody ought to walk through with a crutch and go, glory to God, and get healed just like they did with Peter. People say, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. Well, I'm sorry, you know, not out of my mind, I'm out of yours. So, you know, you just, you have to expand. You need to realize that this is how, this is how we're supposed to live. This isn't weird. This is the way it works. Spirit life. You leave a trail of yourself. You know, you say, well, I ain't never heard anything like that. Man, didn't God say their blood cries out from the ground? Isn't that right? We know that... Well, I'm not going to say that. I've been down to to, uh, Dr. Carl Ball. You know who that is? Creation science guy in Glen Rose. We were down there. We helped work on some of the the, uh, biochamber that he built and all that stuff. It's fascinating stuff. And you know, he is proving Christianity scientifically. But do you know what Christianity he's proving? Spirit-filled, charismatic Christianity. That's what he's proven. That the standard type of traditional, you know, no-life Christianity, he's proven that's not true. And he does it by the, the the scientific experiments that he does. You know, things even now. There's a, a Japanese scientist that has proven that the words you speak, that that the, that the words that you speak, have effect. I've got I've got a journal there called um, the Physics. Spiritual physics. And we deal specifically with that. How your 97% water, and the experiments they did, they would take water, and they would write onto a piece of paper, and then stick the paper onto the water glass. And then they would take the, the water and freeze it, and if it said things like, blessed, and happy, and God, when they froze it and looked at the crystals, the crystals were all symmetrical and beautiful, and then when they said things like Satan, and cursed, and hate, and all this stuff, and they froze the, they, all they did was stick it on a glass. And then froze the particles of water in the glass. And when they looked at the crystals underneath it, all the crystals were asymmetrical and chaotic. That the very, we're Just writing it. Now there's a scientist in Texas that's taken scripture, puts it on glass, hits it with what's called bioresonance, which actually causes it to go into the water and has been drinking the water for something like 7 or 10 years now and has not been sick. And they said that the water is actually mineralized and is healing water. See, see, the stuff stuff I'm telling you, you would have thought I was crazy. You may think I'm crazy now. I don't know. but You know, used to. This was science fiction. But the science is just catching up with the Bible. He said you'll have what you say. He said you can speak to the mountain. It will go. Do you realize Jesus spoke to water? It turned to wine. Right? Well, guess what? Your body is 97% water. Why can't you speak to it and it respond? You know that your body responds to your voice better than it does my voice. Because it's geared to it. This goes right back to, to the voice of Satan. I've going to give you a break. Man, time flies when you're having fun. <clears throat> or when you're sleeping, as some of you are. No, <laughs> no I'm kidding. i was in just place. I was in Boulder and I told people, I said, Alright, I said, y'all did pretty good. All afternoon, only one of you fell asleep. And so we left. And on the way out, I had three people come up and apologize. <laughs> Shouldn't have told me. I didn't see the other two of you. So, but you're, You have to realize that it's not weird that the Bible, that science is just now catching up with the Bible. We have to realize that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And there's a scientific proof behind it. Now, the problem is, or the sad part is, now that I tell you about the science behind it, you'll believe it. So you'll believe science, but you wouldn't believe the Bible by itself. So do you really have faith in the Bible or do you have faith in science? You see, I have faith in the Bible and I was doing this before science proved it. Now that science proves it, I know I had faith because I was doing it before science proved it. Now, you can be an early starter, mid starter, or late starter. At some point, you're going to have to Catch on and click in, or what do you want to call it, and start believing the Word of God. You see? And let no corrupt thing... See, people wonder, how come I don't see more healings? It's because you only watch your words when you're praying for people. The rest of the time, you say anything. Yeah, right, you know? yeah. and, and yet, and now think about this. If you're... I'm, I'm not ultra, you know, confession stuff, all right? I believe in watching my words. I don't believe in corrupt communication coming out of my mouth. You won't hear me say things. Like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm just dying to go to that thing. Because first off, it's not just watching my confession. It's a lie. I'm not dying to go anywhere. Isn't that right? Well, tell you what, that just tickled me to death. No, it didn't. You didn't die. You laughed. So, why exaggerate? Right? You just say what's true. And if you don't, if you don't believe your words, why should the devil... When you tell somebody you're healed in Jesus' name, why should the devil believe you if you don't even believe you? If, well, now I'm serious, though. You don't turn this on and off. This is life. That's right? right? <clears throat> you can't separate your normal life from, well, you know, we're doing this right now, and, oh, you know, you, you, man, don't be, you're, you're stupid. Man, you're the, and saying all this put-downs and stuff, and then turn around and go pray life into people. He says, man, you don't be saying blessing and cursing out of the same mouth. You see, we ought to have a mouth of life. That's why what I say when I'm, pre- when I'm praying for somebody, <clears throat> it, I have the same focus behind it when I say anything else. I don't, even in joking, I don't say things that are going to have a lasting, any type of lasting, I believe that all my words have a lasting effect. So any word that I say, I don't want the lasting effect to be negative. All right? I, I'm not offering to some you know weird thing over here, but come on, let's just let's we're supposed to let all of our words be seasoned with grace, and, let, and let's uh, uh, you know uplift and build up and strengthen, and not put down and you know make fun. See all that stuff about making fun at somebody else's expense like that, that's not godly, right? God didn't come up with that. The Bible says Ephesians one three it says that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And you look up those words, blessing. You know what it means, literally? God has said every good thing He can say about you. That's what it means. To be blessed means God has spoken well about you. So, we have to realize that we are to bless and not curse. So to bless somebody. And if you, if, you don't get across, if you don't get this into you, then whenever you're trying to bless somebody in a healing line by saying, Be healed... It's not going to have any more effect. That's why, you ever notice you say something negative, it comes past quick. You ever see that? I mean, well, and you know it's true. Because you're, well, I'll tell you what. i tell you, man, I, I, if flu comes around, if it comes around anywhere, I catch it. What? And you say, well, my words don't have any effect on it. How do you know? You've been saying that all your life. And it happens. You know, you're getting what you say. Well, but if you only say that, and then all of a sudden you turn around and try to say something good about somebody, you have more faith in the negative than you do in the positive. See, I have faith in God's word. And I want all my words to line up with His word, even when I'm not preaching to somebody. Amen. So why why not I have a single CD in there about watch your mouth? And it tells why you should watch what you say. And again, it's not one of these ultra confession thing, and you know we're going to create new universes and all kinds of. Stuff. It's not. I'm I'm not saying it. I'm really not interested in what is going to happen when Jesus returns. Right? That's all up to Him. This this is my time. Right, this is what I'm responsible for. I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible for now. I'm trying to help people now. So the idea is, if I can get his words into me as much as possible, then I can be a blessing to people like he was. But if I'm just going to half the time say good and half the time say bad and joke around, and then, man, the angels are going, you, you mean it? You, you know, you know, stuff like, well, I tell you what, if you, if you didn't know any better, you, I think you just took your brain out when you took your hat off, and you see the angel, they're going, huh? Took his brain. You know, Because the Bible says that they're learning from us. for what it says. They're looking into these things and they desire to learn the things that are, that are revealed to us. You get that? But that's why people a lot of times, and I'm not against uh, education, as long as it's in the right direction. But we'll talk about it maybe when you come back. So take a break. Alright, how's that?